Hello, my name is Noel Patson, and I have the privilege of reading the book of Job to you. The book has special significance to me for many reasons, but most recently due to the loss of my one of my sons in a horrific car accident. So I um, hope you enjoy my reading this book to you. Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the children of the East. His sons went and held a feast in the house of each one on his birthday, and they sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. It was so when the days of their feasting had run their course that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and renounced God in their hearts. Job did so continually. Now on the day when God's sons came to present themselves to Yahweh, Satan also came among them. Yahweh said to Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered Yahweh, and said, From going back and forth in the earth, and from walking up and down on it. Yahweh said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him in the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you made a hedge around him and around his house and all around all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will renounce you to your face. Yahweh said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only on himself don't touch, only on himself don't stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh. It fell on a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them away. Yes, and they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God has fallen from the sky, and has burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans made three bands and swept down on the camels, and have taken them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
while he was still while he was still speaking there came also another and said your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and behold there came a great wind from the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young men and they are dead i alone have escaped to tell you then job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on down on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked will I return there. Yahweh gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be Yahweh's name. In all this, Job didn't sin, nor charge God with wrongdoing. Well, this is the comments for Job chapter 1. Now, you've just been listening to Noel, a dear brother. <laughs> and this is, you might have been a bit surprised that it wasn't me that read the Bible today. But Noel is going to be reading for us through the whole book of Job, day by day by day. And the book of Job is very meaningful to him. He, he approached me um, last year when we first started doing the Bible. And he said he would really like to read the book of Job. And I had asked him what were his reasons for doing so. Now, one of the reasons I thought, I thought I knew what the reason was, but there were two reasons. One was that as a young boy, Job was a nickname of his because his father thought he was very patient. But the other was that in 2020, uh, Noel lost his son, Nathaniel. And uh, so Noel has experienced, you know, pain and suffering in a way that has brought this book alive for him. And, you know, Job is someone who experienced a great deal of pain and suffering, losing children and, and much, much more. And the book of Job has become a source of comfort to many, many people, certainly Noel and his wife and many, many other believers, but also even many unbelievers. And we're now entering into the wisdom writings of the Bible. We've been through the historical books, which finish in Esther. We're now at the next five books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are all called the Megillot or the Megillo. It's called the Five Scrolls, and they're all wisdom writings. And so there's a whole different style. And these books have been a great source of comfort to many people, even non-believers. And the book of Job is certainly one of those. And so I'm really grateful to Noel for helping me out with all 40 chapters of Job a big effort. So well done to him. He came in on a Saturday and he spent an entire, about four to five hours reading the book of Job. So really grateful for his help. Now, um, one of the, one of the, I guess the big questions that most people have is, is about pain and suffering. You know, pain and suffering is a part of living. We all experience pain and suffering in different ways. One of the questions that's, it's like one of the big questions that people have is how could there be a, a God of love or a loving God and there also be pain and suffering in the world? So it's one of those things that everyone thinks about at some point. The book of Job never gives a satisfying answer to that question, but even so, somehow it's comforting um, because it shows us that God's in control. And um, we, we're going to be, thinking about this theme of pain and suffering and what causes it and what the Lord has done as we go through the book of Job. But I'll quickly tell you up front that there are really two elements to that question. One is the big question. You know, why is there pain and suffering in a world, in a world like this, if 
we have a God of love. So that's called the theological problem of pain because they're trying to understand the big reasons why. And so even people who don't experience the most difficult things still have that question because they're trying to intellectually understand it. But then there are people like our dear brother Noel who've experienced at a personal level. And many people have. Many people have experienced personal pain. And so there's a personal problem of pain. Even if you know the theological answers, sometimes they're not overly satisfying. Because, you know, you, you might say, as we go through the book of Job, we'll see that God had his reasons, but we didn't know what they were, and things like that. So it, it all comes down to um, sometimes the fact that the best answers we can give aren't always that satisfying. So the problem of pain becomes very personal. You know, why did it happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? And so when we look at the life of Job, We've got an example of someone going through both of these problems. He went through the theological problem, and that's what all these debates are about, but he also went through the personal problem of pain. And so people relate to Job. They can see that he went through it. He was able to maintain his faith in God, and it's encouraging to people because it shows them they can too. So, and to, to quickly give you a summary, of the, the, the solution to the personal problem of pain is three things. It's Christ, because Jesus Christ himself went through pain and suffering. It's the church, it, because the church is a body of believers that you belong to. In other words, it's a family that will be with you as you go through your pain, and it's the scriptures. It's, for example, books like the book of Job, which are a source of information and encouragement you know, to help us keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to be exploring you know, the wisdom writings and in particular the problem of pain and, and why do evil things happen to what seems like good people And um, as we go through this book. So one of the big questions about the book of Job is who wrote it, when was it written, and where, where or when did Job live? Some people think the book of Job is just a parable. You know, They think it's just like a made-up story like the prodigal son or something. It's set in a kind of a historical period, but they think it's, it's, you know, it's got truth in it that we can learn from, but it wasn't actually a true thing, didn't actually happen. So there's a few commentators that think that, but a surprisingly number of contemporary commentators think it's a true story. And um, this idea comes from, there's, there's reasons for thinking this. Number one, the very first verse says, there was a man called Job. So it doesn't start out sounding like a made-up story. It starts out very factual sounding. And he came from the land of Uz. Now, some people said, well, we don't even know where the land of Uz is, except um, Uz was the great-grandson of Noah. So when you go to your, your, you know, Genesis 10, and it's got, you know, Noah and all his descendants, his descendants were Ham, Sham, and Japheth. His son Sham had a bunch of sons, and one of them was called Aram. And Aram had a bunch of sons, and one of them was called us. So there you go. It seems that it quite likely that the land of Uz was the area of the world that Uz went, and he, he lived there. That was his land, the land of Uz, and that Job was living in that area probably was one of Uz's descendants, one of his children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren living in that area. So we've got an, we, we don't actually know where Uz is exactly, like the, the geography of it, but we get a sense of it. It's in the age of the patriarchs, like it's in the time of Abraham or maybe in the time of Abraham's father or grandfather, it's in that period of time. And during that period of time, people lived longer. 
So when you go back to Genesis and you track the ages of people, they lived a long time when they were, the earth was young, but as the earth went along, their ages got shorter and shorter. Noah lived like 900 and something years, but then it wasn't only a few generations and they were only living four or 500 years. And then a few more generations, they're only living like 200 years. Their ages were coming down. So Job lives in this period of time and we know he lived a long time because he had time to have two big families. You can't do that if you only live 70 years. And um, so we've got you know, something that geographically is in kind of a patriarchal period. Job also lives a long time, which fits the ages of that time period. Also in Job 40, it mentions kind of currency, like a type of money. And the same type of money is found in Genesis 33, where Jacob uses that type of money. So we've got kind of a financial connection there. Also, they talk about God, but they talk about him calling him the Almighty, which was the same way that Abraham used to talk about God. So it matches the time period. And um, and uh, as well as that, um, there are two other reasons. One is there's no mention of Israel. It's almost like it's before the nation of Israel or before Abraham. And finally, Job in this chapter, he makes sacrifices in his own home for his own children. And that's definitely something that happened before the law came about. When the law came about, there was a priesthood and no one did their own sacrifices. But here we've got Job making his own sacrifices at home, like he's his own priest for his own family. So that's definitely something that happens before the Ten Commandments. So these are all reasons why we might say, no, it's a real story. Real things are happening. It's placed in the period of the patriarchs around Abraham or maybe just a bit before. Now, I really hope that one day someone will discover something in archaeology and find out that, oh, there's a town called Uz or an area called Uz. That would be super cool. <laughs> At the moment, we don't have heaps of concrete information to go on. So the story starts where Joe, uh, someone called the accuser, goes into God's presence and accuses Job of basically being um, uh, only in it for the benefits. So the accuser, if we go to Revelation chapter 12, it describes somebody who was called the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night. Now, who was that? It's none other than Satan. So Satan is labeled here the accuser, and it's the same name he has in the book of Revelation. So Satan goes before the Lord, and he accuses Job of only following God for the benefits. Basically saying he's only good because you pay him to be good. <laughs> you know, you're basically looking after him, God, but you know, take away the benefits and we'll see if he's a genuine if he's genuine or not. So there's an accusation brought. The accusation is that he's a fake. He's not a real follower. He's only in it for what he's getting out of it. And um, accusation is a, is, a, is a terrific weapon if you're looking at it from the effective point of view, or it's a terrible weapon if you're looking from the point of view of it being done to you. We've seen countless times where, um, you know, some significant human being was, say, accused of something. Like, say, a politician was accused of fraud, or, you know, a sports player was accused of some kind of sexual misdemeanor. Those accusations, even if they're not true, it's enough to bring their career to a stop. And um, so, you know, let's say a politician is accused of some type of fraud. Well, you know, they often have to step down from their career. They have to be investigated. There's a court trial. Sometimes it's years. There's a one football player right now who's on my team 
and he may have committed the crime or he may not have. We, we still don't know, but he's, he's been unable to play for three years because of the accusation. So if we find out in the future that he's guilty, fair enough, but if we find out that he wasn't guilty, the accusation still had a terrible effect upon his life. And in the story of Job, it turns out he's actually not guilty, but the accusation has this very debilitating effect on his life. In fact, we saw the effect. His oxen and donkeys are stolen when the Sabaeans attack. By the way, Sabaeans come from Sheba, which is, you know, the land of Yemen today, a real place. Then fire falls from heaven and all his sheep die. Then the Chaldeans attack and camels are taken. The Chaldeans, by the way, are the Babylonians. That's a real place. And then his house collapses in a windstorm and all his children die. So he has these four terrible disasters that come because of the accusation. And um, you, wouldn't you wouldn't connect it to an accusation and he doesn't. He doesn't know that that's what's happened. He has no idea that he's been accused and his motives are being tested. Now, all the way through the Bible up to now, we've been in the historical books, and there's been you know, a number of themes that have been pushed. But one of the themes that's been pushed all the way through, we've seen it all through the history of Israel, was when people follow the Lord, things work out well and they're blessed. You know, way back in Deuteronomy 28, when the Lord made the covenant and he said, if you do what I want, you'll be blessed. But if you don't do what I'm telling you, you'll be cursed. And this theme has gone all the way through the historical books. And it is a true theme. That's how things work. They do work as a principle, but they also work in eternity. But when we get to the book of Job, suddenly we find out it's more complicated than that. Because sometimes bad things happen to good people, at least while they're alive. Because in eternity, that's not the case at all. In eternity, you can trust yourself completely into the Lord's hands. But now we start to find it in the wisdom writings, you know, we find out that sometimes things happen differently. Like in the Psalms, we're going we're gonna to come across people who prospered even though they were evil. And here we're finding out someone that's suffering even though he was good. And so sometimes in our lives too, we go through experiences and we wonder, why am I going through this? Well, an accusation is sometimes the cause of it. And so Satan comes before the Lord. He accuses um, Job of impure motives and all this terrible stuff happens. Now, some people would say, Satan can't go before the Lord. He's not allowed into heaven. This is where different commentators say different things. And I'm actually not 100% sure what's right. One of the commentators said that Satan doesn't go before the Lord because he's been cast out of heaven, but his words come before the Lord in the mouth of those who do go before the Lord, which is believers. And I do know that that's completely true. So there, there are people who are welcomed into the Lord's presence at all times, and that's you and me and believers. And presumably back then, people went before the Lord in prayer. And so even if Satan himself doesn't physically stand before the Lord, and think of it, you and I don't physically stand before the Lord, but when we go to prayer, we are in the Lord's presence. That's what we get told in places like Hebrews, where it says that enter boldly and present your requests. So we go before the Lord's presence, even though we're not physically there. So who knows? Maybe Satan can do that too, but he certainly can do that if he infects the thinking of believers. Have you ever gone before the Lord and prayed for something you shouldn't have? Well, it, it doesn't take much for someone with a, a wrong attitude or a wrong spirit to go before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, that, that person's no good. I, 
Have you ever heard stories of people that pray that their pastor will be removed? They say, Lord, my pastor's not doing the right thing. Take him out. Well, that's an accusation taken right into the presence of the Lord and it has an effect. And sometimes pastors really struggle because they've got people who are not on the same page with them and they're praying against them. Now, sometimes the pastor's wrong, but sometimes someone just doesn't like them and is accusing them. Well, that's the accuser of the brethren putting his thoughts into the mind of someone else who's then taking it into the Lord's presence and bringing the accusation. That type of thing is actually kind of common. And it doesn't only happen to pastors, it happens to all people. And in fact, you've probably been guilty of it yourself. You've probably been a victim of it, and you've probably been a perpetrator of it. <laughs> I'm not blaming you, I'm just saying that we're all fallen human beings and we're all guilty and we're all victims. We're all both. And um, my dad, he's, he's got a sermon on the breaking the power of accusation. It's on our app. You just put Peace Apostolic Ministries into the App Store or the Play Store. You'll find it. Get the app. Get the message called Breaking the Power of Accusation. And my dad has a great sermon on this. You can find it on YouTube as well. And he talks about this, but we, we see it at work right here in Job. And um, if you want to, if you suspect that there's accusation being raised against you, um, well, there's five steps to getting rid of it. Number one, you've got to forgive the person. Number two, you've got to confess your own sins of accusation because you've probably been just as guilty. Number three, you've got to be grateful for all that the Lord has done because, you know, accusation is, you know, basically being ungrateful and complaining. Well, you've got to have the opposite spirit and you've got to be grateful. Number four, then you pray to remove those words of accusation and cut them off in the inner spirit of humility Number five, you pray to bless those people who've accused you and then you ask the Lord to bless you in return. So there's a, there's a very simple process by having the opposite spirit, by forgiving, confessing, being grateful, and then breaking the power of those words where you can go free of accusation. Unfortunately, Job didn't know about that. <laughs> so we're now about to go through the book of Job and explore why do bad things happen to good people we're about to explore some of the complexities of suffering and the mercy of the Lord through it all. So Lord, we thank you for Job chapter one and we thank you for Noel joining us in these next 39 videos as we go through. And I ask the power of the Lord to be released and the comfort and the blessing of Christ would come to all who join us in Jesus' name, amen. 